You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you uh, this morning. And uh, thanks so much to Margaret for uh, that uh, nice long reading uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, Of course, with this series, we've got some uh, quite long uh, readings. In fact, uh, today I'm actually preaching from four chapters, Ezekiel 8 to 11, and Margaret uh, read um, chapter 8 for us. Before I start, I wanted to say a couple of words about uh, Queen Elizabeth. Now, my family came to Australia um, actually in the 50s, and I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and uh, really we knew nothing about, obviously, Queen uh, Elizabeth. Uh, She meant nothing to us, but boy, was she important to the people of Australia at that time, who mostly came from a a British uh, background. I mean, we had a portrait of the Queen in uh, all of our uh, classrooms at school. We sung uh, God Save the Queen at all the assemblies at school. It was also sung, you know, during football matches and other auspicious uh, occasions. But when I became a Christian, and uh, later on I found out that actually Queen Elizabeth was a committed Christian herself, Um, you know, this really, I mean, she was virtually the most high-profile person in the world. She followed Christ just as I do. That was a great encouragement to me particularly as there, of course, were lots of other high-profile people in the world who most certainly did not follow Jesus. And so, to me, she became a great example of, uh, of a person who followed Christ in her life. And uh, so uh, that was important to me, and I really do thank God for her example, in, in uh, certainly in my life. Uh, today we're doing the second sermon. <clears throat> of second, we're really taking a big bird's eye view of the book of Ezekiel. It's got 48 chapters in it. This prophet of Israel uh, during this very early uh, period of of Israel's captivity by uh, the Babylonians. And today we're looking at uh, where does God's glory uh, leave? You know, why, why is it that God's glory leaves God's people? In other words, why does God walk out on his own people? And uh, there's a Bible study that goes with this series. Uh, This is it here. Um, You can grab a copy of it off our uh, website. It's uh, great to look at. It's um, got some uh, great questions, of course, in it. It's also actually got a reading guide in it. And uh, the reading guide uh, tells you about which chapters are being preached on each Sunday. And that way you can read it ahead of time. And that way you'll be uh, more prepared uh, for the sermon. So today I've actually got four chapters Uh, that I'm looking at. Uh, Let's come before the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, you said that um, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Truly, this morning, we want to listen to your voice. We want to be your flock and uh, we want you as our shepherd. So you are our shepherd, Lord. Help us to be good listeners to your voice today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry that I've got a bit of a uh, foggy throat in my voice, but I'm feeling fantastic, so um, I've been a little bit sick, but I'm actually feeling a lot better now. Hope you uh, enjoyed Alvin's uh, introduction to the book of Ezekiel last week, and uh, uh, let me remind you a little bit about that. We're 
um, where Ezekiel sits in, uh, in the scheme of the Old Testament and New Testament. You can see that uh, diagram on the screen there. Let me just tell you a little bit about, just to pluck it into a, a perspective for us. If you look at that uh, um, diagram, the area that's uh, designated the prophesied kingdom, and you'll find actually that what happened there is that uh, uh, Israel split into two kingdoms. First of all, the northern kingdom, and now the northern kingdom was uh, based in Samaria. It had Samaria as its centre. And the Assyrians overthrew uh, that kingdom in 722 BC. Basically, it was... Um, uh, totally annihilated, the people were assimilated uh, with other cultures and uh, basically that was the end of that uh, northern kingdom. Ten tribes of Israel, gone. <clears throat> uh, we actually refer to them as the ten lost tribes of Israel. Now that left the southern kingdom, which included the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. It was centred, of course, in Jerusalem. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he comes along and uh, he conquers uh, Jerusalem. And he exiles the people to Babylon in two different stages. First of all, in 597 BC, that's when he first um, <clears throat> conquers Jerusalem. Uh, in this occasion, um, he doesn't kill all of them. He doesn't ruin the city. He takes away about 10,000 captives. Now, these are the, the elite of the community. They're the most well-educated people. And it included Ezekiel who was 25 years of age at the time. He was, uh, he'd been prepared, he'd been trained to be a priest. And um, that was the first uh, exile. So the city was still left intact. And Nebuchadnezzar, he leaves a, a puppet king um, who was uh, an Israelite, he was Zedekiah. And uh, you know, he was there to uh, you know, keep things going, keep things under control pay, obviously, uh, the required monies to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and, uh, and uh, keep things nice and, uh, and calm. But he's not happy with that. He tries to get an alignment with, uh, with the Egyptians to get them to uh, Egypt to help them. He rebels against the Babylonians and uh, guess what? He loses badly. Uh, the Babylonians uh, come back. They... Um, <clears throat> they basically desecrate the whole of Jerusalem. They ruin the city and the temple. They take absolutely everything. They exile virtually all of the people except the very poorest of the poor are left. Now, these early chapters of Ezekiel talk to us about uh, the time between these two exiles. So it's after the first exile, but before the second exile. Now, last week... Um, Alvin spoke about this first vision that God gave to Ezekiel in chapters 1 to 3 and it talked all about um, God's glory being revealed uh, to them. Today we're looking at chapters 8 to 11. It's actually about 14 months later. He, he, he gives a, a very exacting timeline uh, to when the, he had these visions and Ezekiel he's most likely sitting in a mud hut on the Chiba River, which is just outside of uh, uh, Babylon, obviously. He's got the elders of Judah there with him. They're all sitting there with him. They're about 1,500 uh, kilometres away uh, from Jerusalem. And, you know, these guys, they want to know what is going to happen to Jerusalem. You know, they're hoping that God is going to send them back, bring them back to Jerusalem uh, so that they can uh, continue to worship God there. When are we going back? 
That's what they really want to know. <clears throat> then the same spirit that took him in chapter 1 comes and takes Ezekiel in this second vision. Now, a vision, it's like having a dream except you're actually still awake. And um, his body is left there in the hut with the um, elders of Judah. They're still there. They've got his body there, but God takes his spirit and ushers him away. It says there, are taken by the hair of his head. That's not literal, uh, that's figuratively. And he's taken on this big tour of the temple of Jerusalem. Uh, these visions are actually symbolic. They're, they don't um, refer to actual events happening at that time. It's like this big supernatural uh, movie that, that uh, he is watching, but it's got God's meaning in it. Uh, you know, my wife and I, Gail, um, sometimes we have an argument. And, you know, most of the time we have an argument, we're both a little bit right and a little bit wrong. But there was this one occasion that I remember, and I was totally and absolutely right, and she was absolutely wrong. Seriously, I was absolutely right, and I knew it. You know, we stopped arguing, you know, I got on my own, and I started, you know, talking to myself, as I often do. And I knew I was right. And then, a little bit later, this memory comes back to me. And I knew I was wrong. And this voice from God comes into my head. Do you want me to judge you? the same way that you judged Gail. Judgment. We like to give it, but we don't like to get it. But that's what these four chapters here in Ezekiel are all about. God's judgment of God's people. You know, we, we love hearing about God's love and God's grace and God's mercy to us. But we don't like hearing about God's judgment on us. It's not a popular thing to talk about, is it? But I want to tell you here, judgment here comes before mercy. So as we uh, see God's judgment in these chapters, we will appreciate far more God's mercy on the people of Israel and God's mercy on us as well. We begin here in chapter 8 with the a glory of God being offended. Ezekiel is transported there to the temple in Jerusalem and God shows him why he is not happy with Jerusalem, why he's not happy with his people. He shows him these four really very ghastly scenes of idolatry by, by the people. And here... Uh, uh, is a diagram. It's a diagram of the temple. It shows you the places where each of these um, um, visions occurred, approximately at least where they occurred at the temple. <clears throat> First, of course, he sees this image of jealousy. Uh, it's a carved image of a god. Now, most likely, it's of Queen Asherah. She's the mother of Baal. She's uh, a Canaanite god of fertility. Uh, King Manasseh, actually, uh, a little while before this, had put up an Asherah pole 
right in the temple precinct. Um, but a little while later, his son, uh, King Josiah, uh, got rid of it. Now, jealousy, really jealousy is the proper response that a person would have. For example, um, uh, for a wife uh, would have that kind of jealousy if her husband committed adultery again and again and wouldn't stop. Now, and that's exactly how God feels here. Because of all the idol worship of his people, he feels totally betrayed. And this has been going on for a long time. It's been 390 years since um, King Solomon built the temple. And it's been going on all that time. And God had sent prophet after prophet. Totally betrayed. And it gets worse. Verses 7 to 13, he goes to the entrance of the court and there he sees these images of all these unclean animals on the walls. And he's got the 70 elders of Israel. These are probably the political leaders of the nation. And they're worshipping these, most likely they're Egyptian uh, animal gods because Egyptians worshipped uh, lots of animals. And each one of them, is in, it says there, is in, is in his own little booth. You know, just trying to please using incense to worship these gods individually. They're trying to win favour with Egypt. Now, maybe Egypt will save us. Now, they've totally given up on God. Uh, actually, you'll see in chapter 17 of Ezekiel, it talks about the fact that they're looking to Egypt to save them. Desperate. Believing Yahweh has you know, completely left them. Instead of repenting, what do they do? They try anything but God. But worst of all, then we see the women of Jerusalem weeping for Tammuz. Now, Tammuz was a mythical god of the Babylonians. You know, they're going to the Egyptians, now the Babylonians... It's said that uh, this mythical God, he lived for 36,000 years and then he died. And uh, he rises again every year at the start of spring, which is uh, the period when the rains will come for the crops. And so they are moaning and, and, and mourning uh, in order to try and raise Tammuz so that he would rise earlier. All their emotional energy is going is being spent on a myth. You know, at a time of crisis, it's incredible what people will turn to, isn't it? They'll turn to all kinds of fantasies and myths. Finally, and worst of all, I think, uh, verses 16 to 18, at the entrance of the temple, we've got these 25 men. Certainly they must be priests. They've got their backs towards God backs towards the temple. They're facing the east and they're bowing down to the sun, worshipping the sun, worshipping the creation instead of the creator, something they were told they must never do in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 19. And these are the priests themselves very much 
right in front of God, in front of God's temple, worshipping the creation. I mean, what could be worse than that? You know, they've totally lost confidence in God. Idols have become, you know, just a way of life for them for a long time now. Do you know what an idol is? An idol is what we give our life to more than God. Now, here in the West, here in the Western Church, uh, we don't worship idols made of wood or stone. But what do we worship? Now, our idols are very much in our minds, aren't they? Now, we put ourselves in the centre of our own world. We make our own little world, like those 70 elders, each one, you know, had his own little spirituality. We put ourselves at the centre of that spirituality and we worship things like money, we worship our careers, we worship, you know, beauty and sex and comfort and family, anything but And, you know, when the church uh, becomes like that, what what does it begin to look like? You know, it becomes a place where sin just seems to be normal, where God's name is harmless, means nothing. Scripture, it's just relative. Materialism, no problem, we can cater with that. Where feelings, where feeling good about ourselves is more important than truth. Richard Niebuhr put it like this, you know, when a church becomes like that, then uh, the gospel uh, becomes uh, something that is, just gives us a God without wrath, bringing people without sin to a kingdom without judgment through Christ without a cross. You know, we think that we are so different from those Israelites those people in Jerusalem. But are we? Am I just like them? You know, have I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone and only? You know, no matter what. Do we we count suffering for Christ as as something that's good (laughs) or something to be avoided? You know, I don't just mean, you know, we get our feelings hurt. I mean really paying a price. You know, like the Christians, for example, in China. You know, in China, whatever the communist government tells you, you've got to do. If you don't, you're in trouble. So what do the Christians there do? They go against the government. They get thrown into jail. How do they handle that? They pray. They they preach the gospel to the police as they're taking them to jail. They pray with the inmates in jail. They willingly suffer for Jesus. They count it as a positive. You know, the mark of the church is the cross. Not, not the dollar, not, not our comfort, not an easy life. 
You know, we are just so soft. We just love a comfortable life, an easy life. We love comfort so much. You know, we might be more interested in our next holiday than we are in obeying Jesus. You know, what do we call radical discipleship? <clears throat> I think what we call radical discipleship, the Chinese church just calls normal discipleship, and normal discipleship just means obeying Jesus, doing what Jesus says. It's pretty simple, really, isn't it? But actually, it's hard to do, isn't it? You know, we've just got so much, really, in this life. And Jesus said it, actually. We have, we have so much. It's hard to depend on God. We depend on our money rather than depend on God. You know, we think we're nothing like those people in Jerusalem, but are we? Maybe we are just like them. Needing to repent. Needing to worship God first. Willing to suffer for Christ. Or are we just worshipping, you know, the things of this world today, just like they did then? Uh, let's move it along. Now, for... Um, for time's sake, and obviously with a sermon, I'm just going to briefly mention about chapters 9 and 10. Now, chapter 9 is where God's glory is defended. Here, God does, um, he does that by destroying all the sinful people of the city, all the idol-worshipping people of Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, Kill old men outright, young men and maidens, little children and women, but touch no one, on whom is the mark. God's protection, actually he still puts his protection on those people who acknowledge their own sin and repent from it. But God's judgment is real. God's judgment is serious. You know, how serious do we take God's judgment on people? How seriously do we pray for our nation? How serious do we take it that we are willing to tell people this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because otherwise they're going to hell. How seriously do we take that? Now this vision of judgment actually fulfills, <clears throat> is fulfilled by God later on at the uh, second exile in 586 BC, when uh, the temple and when Jerusalem is completely destroyed. And uh, this vision was about that judgment that was going to happen on those people then. Then it goes on in chapter 10, and here we see the glory of God depart Jerusalem in four separate stages, as shown there on the screen. Ezekiel watches as God walks out on Jerusalem. And the final stage actually happens in chapter 11 where God's glory leaves Jerusalem all together. It goes to the mountain on, mount on the east, which is actually the Mount of Olives, 
And then it continues. And what else is towards the east? Babylon. <clears throat> and the exiles. Then it moves on in chapter 11. We have the glory of God suspended, but with hope. With hope. Now the first 13 uh, verses, we again actually see God's judgment, first of all, at the east gate. There's 25 leaders. Now, these are most likely public officials, including uh, Palatai, who is called, described as a prince of the people. And they think that judgment, these guys, they reckon that judgment has already come. Uh, the first exile has happened. These 10,000, they're the ones that have been thrown out and uh, they've been uh, gone to uh, Babylon. All of us that are left over, <clears throat> we're the goody-goodies. You know, God's actually blessed us. I mean, these are the 10,000 most elite who have gone. They've got some fantastic houses and land. Guess what? That's all left for us. Mate, we are rich. We are really well off. God must love us. We're safe. We're prosperous. We're good. We haven't done anything wrong. God must really love us. And they get comfortable in that knowledge, but certainly not repentant at all. And then it goes on in verse 13. Palatai dies. Judgment falls on them too. And Ezekiel says, is this the end of Israel? But in the second half, God says in, chapter, in verses 17 to 18, I'll gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the um, countries where you've been scattered and I'll give you the land of Israel and when they come, they'll remove all the detestable things and all its abominations. And you've got this real reversal happening in their thinking. God's plan is actually for the exiles to return, to inherit the land again, to begin again, to, to get rid of all the idols to bring back true worship of God. And those who are still there at this time in Jerusalem, they've been rejected. <clears throat> now in this second half of the chapter, we've really got this, this hope that God gives them, even with this judgment that he's giving to them. Verses 19 to 20, it says, I'll give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit in them. I'll remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of of flesh, so they'll walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they'll be my people, and I'll be their God. This is really very much looking forward to Jesus, actually, as all of the Old Testament actually does. I'll give them one heart, I'll put a new spirit in them. You know, we can't do that ourselves, we need God to do it in our lives. It's only God that can change me. I can't do it myself. We need the Holy Spirit inside of us. You know, and God does that when we put our faith in Jesus because of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. You know, God doesn't live in buildings made of stone or brick. He lives in the heart of his people. Now, it's not good enough for us to be just part of a good church. We ourselves need to be followers of God 
personally too. You know, have I really turned my back on all the idols of this world? You know, have I put my trust completely and totally in Jesus myself? And it says here <clears throat> about having this, um, I'll call it a divine heart transplant. <laughs> well, actually, I've had an organ transplant myself. It wasn't a heart. It was actually a kidney. And let me tell you a couple of things that I learned from that. I knew that that kidney was working because of the results what was happening to my body. You know, with a transplant, my life completely changed. You know, your body works differently, uh, you think different, uh, you feel different, and you act different. <clears throat> but what I noticed is that some people who I knew who also had a, a kidney transplant, they didn't really make full use of it. Even though they'd gotten a new, well, a new second-hand kidney, uh, some of them are just scared to use it to the max. They were scared of losing it. Uh, and so they didn't use it to its full capacity. It didn't change their lives that much. Then I also noticed that, you know, um, <clears throat> when, you, uh, when you lose your kidney function... Um, and you're on dialysis, you're, you know, it changes your life. You're very tired all the time and you, you get into some very lazy habits uh, when you're on dialysis because you just got no energy at all. And what I noticed is some people, you know, they got into those lazy habits and even though they got a, a kidney transplant, they didn't change. They just kept those old habits going. They didn't even try. You know, what does a new heart from God really mean? J.C. Ryle put it like this. It's not a little bit of cleansing and purifying, a little turning over a new leaf and putting on a new outside. No, it's not that. It's bringing in something altogether new. It's planting a new nature, a new being, a new principle, a new mind. This alone and nothing less will ever meet the needs of a person's soul, a man or woman's soul. You know, <clears throat> a heart of stone can serve God out of duty, can obey God because of what I'm going to get out of it. You know, I'll obey God because I'll get his forgiveness. I'll obey God because then he'll bless me. I'll obey God because I want to get to heaven. But a new heart is totally different. Serves God because, because I want to. Serves God because I love God. Serves God because I just find God beautiful in and of himself. You just want to be near God. You just want to delight yourself in being with him and like him. And let me ask you, you know, in just in those spare moments in your life, those spare times when you've got nothing else on your mind, 
when you've got nothing else to think about, who or what comes into your mind? That's what's in your heart. That's what it's in your heart. What comes into your mind? I'm afraid what comes into my mind is not always the best thing at all. Have you received a new heart from Jesus? Have you put your faith and your trust in him alone? Have you accepted the death of Jesus? His death for your sins, for yourself? Now, if you haven't done that, then why don't you come and talk with me or perhaps with a, a Christian friend about it? And we would love to tell you more about that. You know, <clears throat> I think here in the West we need to get out of our comfort zone. We need to serve God with all of our heart, with all of ourselves with all of our being. We need to not look towards comfort, but look towards God. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, Jesus said to us that uh, no one enters the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. So we just want to thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's only through your death and resurrection that we can be born again. And so we want to pray that um, there'll be some people even here today, this morning, that would want to receive you, to receive your new heart of flesh, a heart that will be fully opened to God. And Lord, we want to pray for our nation. We ask for your mercy upon Australia. We ask for your blessing upon this country and that, Lord, that you would enable many more men and women and children to come to a point in their lives where they would put their faith and their trust in Jesus and proclaim him as Lord. We want our nation to thrive under God and we really pray for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.